When former Hong Kong minister Patrick Ho was flying into New York's John F. Kennedy Airport in November 2017, he was arrested by the FBI on bribery and money laundering charges. The first call he made was to James Biden, brother of the then former vice president and now president. James Biden later said the call was a mistake, that Ho was actually trying to reach his nephew, the president's son, Hunter Biden. And for good reason. Newly authenticated documents show that Hunter Biden had gotten a million dollar retainer from Ho, just one tranche of as much as $5 million that flowed to both Hunter and James Biden from the former Hong Kong official and his boss, Yi Jinming, a billionaire oil tycoon with past ties to a front for the People's Liberation Army. The details of the Biden's relationship with Chinese interests has emerged in fits and starts, much of it originally dismissed because they were found on an abandoned laptop that former U.S. intelligence officials suggested may have been the product of Russian disinformation. No evidence of that has yet been found on the material, and recent reporting on the subject have caused some former counterintelligence officials to raise an intriguing but important national security question. Were the Bidens the target of a Chinese influence operation that needs to be fully investigated by the FBI? Coming during the same week as new disclosures that Jared Kushner, former President Trump's son-in-law, had secured $2 billion in Saudi money for his investment fund, we'll talk to former FBI counterintelligence chief Frank Figluzzi about the questionable dealings of presidential family members and why they matter on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a senior counsel at States United. And we are joined by our Yahoo News colleague who helped me with the reporting on the uh, Patrick Ho, Hunter Biden story, Zach Dorfman. Zach, welcome back to Skullduggery. Great to be here as always. So this is one of those stories that is obviously politically dicey. People tend to view it through their strictly partisan lens. But one of my inspirations for wanting to talk about it on this episode was the terrific tweet by another former colleague of ours, Jerry Adler, who wrote after Zach and I published our piece that it was a great explainer quote, making the case for a constitutional amendment limiting the presidency to childless orphans without siblings. That's obviously a reference to the long line of presidential offspring and family members from Billy Carter to Neil Bush to various Trump offspring who have been entangled with foreign interests over the years and uh, caused headaches for their respective presidents uh, and fathers. But there is a lot to untangle here. And I think it is important because we are learning more and more with more documents from that laptop being authenticated by publications like the New York Times and the Washington Post. It turns out there's a lot more to this story. So we want to sort of walk through. And um, let's start with Zach. Tell us, who was Patrick Ho? So Patrick Ho was a former Hong Kong government minister who ended up heading up 
the nonprofit wing of a Chinese oil conglomerate called CEFC Energy. And CEFC Energy had this meteoric rise around 2010 and became one of the most important players in the kind of Chinese oil scene. And Ho was a kind of connected insider. He was, a, as I said before, a former Hong Kong government minister. He helped oversee the transition from UK rule of Hong Kong to Chinese rule of Hong Kong. And he was a delegate to a, a key communist party body. And uh, when he took over uh, CEFC's nonprofit wing, he became very focused on the United Nations. And he got accreditation from the United Nations. And then uh, US prosecutors allege he started engaging in a pretty wild bribery scheme that uh, roped in African politicians who are connected to the UN, including uh, at least one uh, president of the UN General Assembly. And he used his perch heading up this nonprofit as kind of a vehicle to bribe these officials, potentially in the interest of the oil conglomerate. Uh, some of the deals that he seemed like he was trying to pull off were kind of like oil for you know, for guns actually deals. He got involved in, you know, the, there were allegations from the prosecution in this case that was eventually prosecuted at the Southern District of New York that he was engaged in gun running, sanctions busting with Iran, bribery and attempted bribery of multiple African officials. And while he's doing this, um, toward the end of this, this kind of uh, wild period of alleged bribery, he starts uh, making connections with Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden and um, Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, enter into a contractual arrangement with Ho, where there are uh, millions of dollars that are flowing from CEFC affiliates to Hunter Biden. And I think Hunter Biden then um, almost like subcontracts James Biden, if I remember the, that correctly. And this is all going on before. Ho is arrested in late 2017 in the U.S., he arrives at JFK Airport and is arrested by FBI agents. But, you know, it's a very, it's notable, right? You have somebody who the U.S. has uh, identified as someone who uh, may or may not be acting on behalf of Chinese state interests, who is simultaneously entering into some kind of uh, opaque business arrangement with, with Hunter Biden and, and James Zach, Biden. let's pick up on that because there are two details that I think are significant in our story that I don't think is sunk in with most people. First is what we found, what you found, as to what Patrick Ho's own lawyers have raised in his appeal of his conviction for money laundering and bribery. And we should point out, make it clear, there's no charges, none of the charges about Patrick Ho involve any of his connections to the Bidens. But what the lawyers for Ho did file as part of their defense is that Patrick Ho wasn't acting on his own or even for this company, Chinese Energy Power, that um, he was working for, he did it to, quote, advance Chinese state interests, in particular, Belt and Road, which is this signature initiative of Chinese leader Xi to promote Chinese economic uh, and advance Chinese economic power around the world. So that sort of on its face 
ties Ho to the Chinese government right there. His lawyers are saying he's acting to advance the Chinese government interests. And then one of the findings on that laptop is a recording in which Hunter Biden is talking to an unidentified woman and talks about Patrick Ho. Why don't you tell us what he says on that recording? Well, he calls uh, Patrick Ho the fucking spy boss of China, which is a vast overstatement of Patrick Ho's role. He may or may not have been acting as an agent of influence for the Chinese government. He was certainly somebody of influence, certainly a player. And, and it does suggest on its face that Hunter Biden had good reason to suspect, if not know, about the intelligence ties of his business associates who's funneling large amounts of money to him and his uncle James. Yeah, and why, I mean, when, why, for instance, they were trying to engage with him and his uncle in the first place. Well, Zach, let me ask you that. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but just, just for some clarity here, Zach, explain when they hired Hunter, when they gave, they gave him this contract and, and gave him you know, this million-dollar retainer, what was the stated purpose of it? What were they asking Hunter to do for them? You know, my understanding was that it was legal representation, but we fundamentally don't know. <laughs> We don't know what work was actually. Or was there a contract? I mean, did you see? There, there was. A, there is a retainer agreement, and this some of this is in a pretty extensive Washington Post story some weeks ago, which suggested the purpose was to help him find legal representation. What we do report in the story is that there is Hunter Biden certainly did not participate in Patrick Ho's defense at his trial. Uh, he's not listted as any of the lawyers working for Patrick Ho on his defense. So, so Hunter does Biden is a question. lawyer. I, I actually didn't realize that. Yeah. And let's let's also note that he, he was at the time working for a pretty big deal law firm, right? Right. Which which played no role in his in Patrick Ho's defense either. Right. Um, they, they are not a listed law firm. So it may be that the stated purpose was to put Patrick Ho in touch with a lawyer or law firm that could, you know, represent him at trial. But if that's what we're talking about, it's a pretty hefty retainer for a bit of, you know, legal matchmaking. But also Ho, aside from the criminal prosecution, may have been facing a bevy of other civil and other kind of things that required legal representation, right? So yeah, but he, I mean, clearly he was mostly lawyers. concerned at that point about, <laughs> you know, being criminally charged. But he also paid a separate, but uh, CEFC also paid almost $5 million to an investment vehicle that was controlled by Hunter Biden. And then Hunter Biden transferred $1.4 million of that to James Biden around this time. I um, mean, so there was, there were multiple overlapping things going on. And, you know, certainly somebody of uh, Ho's stature, given the legal trouble that he was in, like, definitely needed a good lawyer. But yeah, I mean, it definitely, there's a certain kind of smell test, you know, that you apply to whether a million dollar retainer is necessary for somebody to find you a lawyer. And that the first call he makes upon getting arrested was to James Biden, which James says was really intended for Hunter Biden. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, there, again, there may have been a kind of a sense that, you know, if you're in legal trouble, you need to establish relationships with people who are politically connected. I mean, this is an old story, and right. you know, and th there's nothing 
you know, it, it, it may appear odious, but it's not shocking that such a thing would occur and has occurred, you know, in potential Chinese influence schemes in the past. I mean, one other thing I wanted to note, Mike, that you mentioned in terms of whether, you know, that Ho's own lawyers were trying to argue that he was conducting the activities he was on behalf of the Chinese state. So it's interesting because they were arguing that U.S. prosecutors were talking around it while pointing strongly to it, but he was not charged in any way as being an agent of a foreign power. He was charged with bribing foreign officials and money laundering. However, U.S. prosecutors during his trial made court filings that showed that some of Ho's communications were caught on a FISA warrant, which only applies to you know, suspected agents of a foreign power or terrorists. So there was this real like legal yeah. maneuvering that was going on at the time where you know, the prosecution was using non-espionage-related statutes. Zach, could that just mean that, I mean, the standard is lower to get the FISA warrant. Maybe they were trying to prove that he was a Chinese agent, uh, but were not able to. That's definitely possible. I mean, the other thing that uh, I've heard speaking with, you know, former officials is that a lot of the time you want to, you know, you want to construct case in parallel so you don't have to reveal sensitive sources and methods. And it's just easier if you can prosecute somebody criminally using a parallel body of evidence, even if you know that that person is likely acting as an agent of influence, you you just use the other criminal. Which, of course, raises the question, which I think we were not able to answer. Is there a current and ongoing counterintelligence uh, investigation um, into all of this and the question of whether China was trying to was running an influence operation involving the, the Bidens? That's certainly what it looks like on its face. And when I say involving the Bidens, meaning that the Chinese yeah. were trying yeah. to get close to the Bidens, not that the Bidens were in, in, in any way involved. I mean, fair, fair to say that if you were facing serious criminal charges brought by the Southern District of New York and you're arrested by the FBI, Hunter Biden wouldn't be the first lawyer you would think of as the one you want to help get you out of trouble. So then the question is, why would they be going through Hunter Biden? for the purpose of defending themselves against these serious charges. We've got an excellent guest to talk about that, as well as the larger question of um, influence operations targeting presidential family members, Frankfurt Luzi, the former chief of the FBI counterintelligence division. So Zach, thanks again, and uh, let's get to Frank. We now have with us Frank Fugluzzi, the former chief of FBI counterintelligence. Frank, welcome back to Skullduggery. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a heck of a week. I'm glad we could fit this in. So you are among the many former intelligence and counterintelligence officials who were initially skeptical about the Hunter Biden story and what was found on his laptop and the emails that emerged about his foreign dealings. And for a lot of reasons, the initial stories on that did not get a lot of traction outside of conservative media. But I gather you have changed your view somewhat on that. Tell us why. 
Yep. Um, so in, in in part, I have, and it, so it's going to be one of those bifurcated responses. Um, and I and I wrote a column for this. I have a regular column in MSNBC Daily on their digital platform, and I wrote a column last week on Hunter and my my uh, new insights. So with regard to Ukraine, you are correct. With regard to allegations of Hunter and Ukraine, here's where I came down on that. And that is that I still strongly believe that there are there is strong evidence of Russian exploitation of that to try to flip it onto can, then candidate uh, Joe Biden and now President Joe Biden. I believe the FBI was all over that. I know from public sources that they briefed members of Congress on the likelihood that Russian disinformation was at work with regard to allegations against Joe Biden and Ukraine vis-a-vis his son. So that has not gone away. So what I'm saying is, I believe two things can be true at the same time. Hunter might have had very suspicious dealings with Ukraine, and Russians and their intelligence services may have used that, largely through Rudy Giuliani and others, to try and taint Joe Biden. Where my change has come in has been the China aspect of this, where I see much more clarity around suspicious money and relationships between Hunter and the Chinese energy company and its executives that absolutely merit further inquiry. And he's. we know, of course, that in investigations occurring with re- regard to that regarding taxes. And what I'm suggesting is let's go a step further and let's broaden the aperture of what China does to target family members of prominent people and in, people who have influence and access. And let's get a counterintelligence read on this and comma, and then I'll stop talking, if you're going to do that and talk about Hunter and the counterintelligence issues, let's not be blind to the larger issue of China, China doing this writ large, and let's look where they've done it before, and let's look at the Trump kids. Let's get this all done and stop being partisan about it, if that's even possible. Right. And in the Biden's case, what leaps out is the question of whether this was a targeted effort by the Chinese, right? I mean, were they zeroing in and targeting Hunter Biden and his uncle James as a way to, you know, get their clutches in and potentially get compromising information about the Biden family? You mean, is it possible that if Hunter's last name was Blyden and not Biden, the Chinese might have not been interested in Hunter? The answer is you bet. They would not have been interested in Hunter. And I can tell you from 25 years in the FBI and heading counterintelligence that this is their bread and butter. And I'll I'll go a step further, Mike. This happens at local, county, and state levels, never mind around the White House. They they are pervasive and prolific in their long-term approach to spotting, assessing, and recruiting people who just might someday be of influence. So absolutely, this was targeting. And for those you know who are sitting there going, wait a minute, we're talking about some kind of private corporation in China. What do they have to do with the intelligence services? Let me, let me just take this teachable moment to explain that 
There's no such thing as a completely independent private Chinese business enterprise, especially when you're talking about a massive energy firm like we're talking about. The intelligence services are embedded there and the company is beholden to the Chinese government to even exist and operate. So of course I've seen in my history such entities exploited and influenced, sometimes against their will, Michael. Sometimes they go, please, please don't ask this of us, please, you're gonna really mess with us. And the intelligence services point out a certain state law that says you must cooperate when asked to do so by the intelligence services. So Frank, let's talk about another case involving another member of a presidential family, the Trump family, that emerged just in the last couple of weeks at the same time that some of these Hunter Biden revelations were coming to light. And that is uh, Jared Kushner, the president's uh, son-in-law, who worked in the White House on foreign policy issues, developed a very close relationship with the Saudis, in particular the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And then six months after leaving government, it turns out, after forming a private equity firm called Affinity Partners, got a $2 billion investment from the uh, Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, which is overseen by MBS. Clearly, people have raised questions about the appearance of that, especially given the fact that Jared Kushner was someone who, in some ways, advocated on behalf of uh, MBS uh, while he was in the White House, who deflected criticism of him for the the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist, which uh, the Biden administration and the CIA um, has said was ordered by MBS. But from a a national security perspective, does that case... uh, uh, Tell me if you think there are any parallels at all with the Hunter Biden case and, and to what extent that case concerns you. So kudos to you for doing exactly what we've just been talking about, which is to broaden the aperture and not take these piecemeal. Um, These these aren't happening uh, in islands of their own. And so we've got in the case of Jared Kushner, what I appear what appears to be diplomacy, American diplomacy for sale to the highest bidder. You cannot look at this and not be suspect of what's going on here. Here's here's why. First of all, we're talking about uh, an individual in Jared who had an official capacity at the White House. Hunter, no, but still the influence is similar, but in Jared's case, far greater. As you say, he was directly engaged with the Saudis. And what did the Saudis do during Trump's tenure, Jared's father-in-law's tenure? Well, it appears that they ordered the assassination of Khashoggi. And what did we do about it? Absolutely not a god darn thing to include Mike Pompeo smiling and yucking it up on a trip over there following that assassination. So let's let's look else at other factors on why this smells badly. In the, you know, essentially we're talking about a private equity firm, kind of a hedge fund situation. We're talking about Saudi Arabia investing its sovereign wealth. This is a huge deal, right? This is their, this is their government bucks. And they're deciding to go with a, what is a, a, a fledgling no real experience individual in private equity. Not only that, but their private screening firm that vetted, you know, and this, by the way, I have former FBI colleagues of mine, high level retired FBI officials who actually engage in the kind of due diligence we're talking about for hedge funds. They're the ones who go out 
and get boots on the ground in those countries. And they come back and tell a hedge fund, this smells badly. You're going to be taking terrorist money. You're going to be taking money from laundering, right? Or cartels stay away from the sovereign fund. But here comes this private screening firm allegedly telling the Saudis, bad idea. This guy Kushner is going to have bad baggage from his father-in-law, number one. Number two, no experience in this kind of business. Number three, you're going to be the bulk of the money in this new fund. And therefore the risk. Yeah, the risk. So the risk is through the roof. And what does MBS do? He does it anyway. So now the question is why? Well, is it payback? Thank you. We appreciate you looking the other way while we while we sawed uh, uh, the bones off of uh, Khashoggi? Or um, is it also, comma, we think there's a shot that Donald Trump could come back and we are trying to not only thank you, but grease the skids for another Trump administration. Payback or, or down payment? Hedging your bets. Both, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's both. So, so when the finance people say the vetting, the vetting people, the, right, they, they tell MBS this is a bad financial risk. MBS is going, it may be a bad financial risk, but it's a hell of a political win for us. And he's willing to take that risk. So let me ask you a question. It appears, going back to Hunter Biden and Jared Kushner, it appeared, at least vis-a-vis Hunter Biden, that he was a pretty let's call him ripe target for some of these influence operations. We know he took money in Ukraine. He took money in China. There are a few other countries that are uh, kind of well-known corruption havens and or money laundering havens who were giving him money. In Mike's excellent article, he mentions the fact that the FBI and your, which you were in charge of, would occasionally do briefings to people saying you're a target. You might want to back off and and there's some specific examples in the article of people who happened. Do you think Hunter Biden ever got one of those briefings? Was he ever warned that he was the target of influence operations? Why didn't anyone ever step in and tell the son of the vice president of the United States and major political candidate, you are a target, be careful? And by the way, just to follow up on that very quickly, shouldn't that just be the practice of the FBI to give those kinds of defensive briefings to presidential families once uh, they're in office or their parent is in office? Well, the answer is, first to Victoria's question, we don't know, right? It has. It's one of the few things that hasn't leaked out yet in, in this world of leakage. We don't know for sure whether Hunter or his father received such brief, briefings or James. Secondly, to answer Daniel's question, it is absolutely the practice of the FBI to do so. And I've personally been involved in extremely high-ranking officials and candidates, uh, even for president, and brief them myself on the fact that they're being targeted. We know, we do know- Well, well, wait a second, Frank, but as a routine, that they are being targeted as opposed to the risk that they could be targeted. I'm wondering whether that ought to be a routine practice. Okay, that, that, I, lo- I love that idea, by the way, and, and I hope we wrap this conversation by kind of not just laying out the very troubling issues we're talking about, but laying out a path forward, which seems impossible in, in this particular Congress we're in. But, but I want to, so hold, hold that thought about what we can do about this. But yes, I, I love this idea that candidates generally, generally it kind of, it kind of happens much later in the process. So you're, you're now your party's uh, nominee, and here comes the intelligence briefing, 
and or we wait until uh, absent that we wait until there's evidence of clear targeting. So Victoria's question, were all the earmarks there, the hallmarks of a targeting? Uh, of course, the, some of these, these uh, Chinese executives, actually one of them in particular was associated with a, what's been called by the, by the U.S. Congress previously a, uh, a front company for the Chinese government. I mean, of course- That, that was Patrick Ho's boss, this guy Yi, Yi Jinming, who was the head of the Chinese energy company that was funneling all this money to the Bidens. Uh, yeah. And who, by the way, has disappeared in China since all this blew up. Uh, there's been no public sighting or reference to him ever funny, since. Uh, funny so. how that happens. Funny how that happens. But Victoria, I, I, if I were the head of CI, um, and I saw this happening. I'd be asking my field offices to uh, to reach out to Hunter and or his father and make it to my notice. Tell us what one of these defensive briefings goes like. How does it go? Well, so there's the generic one that just, as I said, when you become, say, your party's nominee or or what have you, then it's very generic. And often, often you'll hear these these people who are being briefed say things like. That was a not that, that I, I'm I'm not impressed with that. That that's stuff I knew, right? Because it's generic. Hey, foreign intelligence services, including those of Russia and China and uh, Iran and North Korea and even others, including some of our allies, actually target you for compromise, for political information and strategizing, and your family members. And so we ask that you include your family members in being extremely vigilant. Blah 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 blah. And then, of course, when there is specific intel, and there was a very interesting public statement when it comes to Biden from the then National Counterintelligence Executive for the DNI, who came out, a guy, a guy that, that used to work with me at, at the FBI, by the way, who came out and publicly said something like this. The Chinese targeting of the Bidens is on steroids. That's what he said. He used the phrase on steroids and Chinese targeting of the Bidens. But he said it after. So th this is a clue, right? So he's seeing the big picture at the DNI's office. He's the national counterintelligence executive for the DNI. He's seeing all the intel. He's got to know what happened with Biden, which goes back to your question. Was, was Hunter or, or Joe Biden ever briefed? Mm, maybe. When I hear the national counterintelligence executive say publicly as Joe Biden is entering now, now he's coming in, he's moving into the Oval Office. And here comes the National Counterintelligence Executive. Say, the, say it's out of control. It's on steroids. And um, they're targeting something like, quote unquote, the staff, the staff and those around Biden. So come on. They knew. And it's quite possible there was a briefing specifically on this. Frank, I'm curious. You alluded to this before, but I want to get you to kind of flesh it out a bit. How extensive are these kinds of influence campaigns uh, in this country? Because I remember, and Isakoff will remember, during the um, Clinton campaign finance scandal, uh, we reported on a, uh, a local politician in California named, if I'm remembering correctly, Matt Fong. I think he might have been the, the actually the, uh, the state treasurer, treasurer I believe. but they had yeah. identified him as an up and comer. And uh, I remember we learned that there was this elaborate ten point plan. They were funneling money to him through, allegedly through Ted Shung, if you'll remember that name, Isakoff. And they believed that he was someone who might successfully run for the U.S. Senate. They saw him as a potential vice presidential candidate. And they were thinking long term. And they were looking for people, even on like 
city councils who they thought could eventually rise up to national politics. You've just laid it out. I, you, you've just laid it out. And I think the average American doesn't even understand this. And, I, and by the way, I think the average uh, office holder, particularly at state and, and local level, has no clue that this is about to happen to them. But yes, it is unbelievable. And it's a very different approach than, say, the Russian services take, which is far more brute force. Wait till you get in office or close to it, right? And then we're not going to waste our time on you. We don't, we don't have a five-year plan. We have a five-week plan. And, and then we're going we're gonna to insert, you know, Maria Butina next to you or something. That, that's Russian. China, long-term, patient, patient, volume, volume, volume. It's, it's kind of like the same thing they do with cyber uh, intrusions. They will vacuum up everything in the hope that someday, and then they store it. There are vast, vast warehouses of data vacuumed up by the Chinese services in the hopes that someday it will be of value to them. The same approach is taken on the human side. And I, yes, I have seen mayors, city council members, state legislators absolutely targeted. And two of the examples we did point out in the article is one, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California had somebody on her staff who the FBI discovers was a, or they believed was a Chinese intelligence agent, and they gave a defensive briefing to Dianne Feinstein, and she fired the staffer. Congressman Eric Swalwell, a uh, frequent guest on Skullduggery, had some, a woman who was raising money for him for his campaign. The FBI suspected her Chinese intelligence ties, they gave a defensive briefing to Swalwell and he cut his ties with the woman. So this doesn't necessarily implicate the ultimate target of Chinese influence operations, that the fact of these sorts of things going on. But I want to, we've been talking about this in the counterintelligence context as to better understand what the Chinese are doing. But there's also separate and apart from that the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden and his taxes, which, according to the New York Times, has since been expanded to include money laundering and, and potentially foreign lobbying violations. The question here, and I want to ask you this, not on your counterintelligence at, but also in your hat as a FBI, former FBI criminal officer, don't you at some point to complete that investigation, or do you, at some point to complete that investigation, have to go to President Biden and ask him what he knew about what his son was up to and what conversations he might have had with him about that. Yeah, and or his brother. And David. or his brother, correct. Sure. If this is all about, you know, Hunter being and James being targeted, they're not being targeted in their own right. They're being targeted because of their proximity and access to Joe Biden. You've got to close this out as to any incriminating statements they may have made, any admonishments Joe Biden may have given them, which would have put them on notice. So that goes toward criminal intent. You know, we're here now talking about a criminal structure, a criminal case. So you want to know motive, intent. You want to know uh, whether it was witting or unwitting. You want to know whether Joe Biden said, keep me out of this. This looks badly. And again, it's not about Joe Biden. It's about trying to establish the mindset and intentions of the person you have under investigation, which appears now to be Hunter Biden. So the short answer is yes. Now, a lot, this, 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 larger issue, this larger issue of why aren't we doing this or that keeps coming up with regard to Trump and, and 
DOJ's investigation of January 6th, et cetera. You know, you and I are talking about ordinary circumstances, ordinary people. This, this is now the president of the United States. So before you do that, it, you know, there's much wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth at DOJ and FBI headquarters, right? Oh my God, when are we going to do it? Are we sure we want to do this? It's going to ruin the midterms. It's going to, all, all of this goes on. And then of course, well, who's going to do it? No, you do it. Well, let's send, <laughs> and, and I've, I've been in these discussions, believe me, at FBI headquarters, you know, and my, here's my response, Michael, on, on these is, hey, everybody, we have a field office. It's called Washington Field Office. Those guys and gals, they do a really great job. And why are, why are we sitting here talking about doing it ourselves? Well, this is very sensitive. I go, right. And, and who knows better, right? And do, do we want any impression left that this was handled specially because of who this guy's, what this guy's title is? Or do you want to send the case agent and maybe his supervisor over to the White House, right? I, I, that, I'm just, feel, I did, this is just a pet peeve of mine that right. everything, everything goes south when headquarters takes it, right? But you do, in order to do that, however you do it, you got to go through DOJ when you're talking to question the president of the United States. Heck, right? heck, yeah, heck yeah. Heck, so heck I can, yeah. you know, everybody's been talking about the pressure, you know, Merrick Garland has been under on January 6th about whether he's going to investigate Donald Trump and, you know, all the, the back and forth debates about, you know, when you do that or how you do that. But it strikes me that, you know, there's just as much political sensitivity and and going to be heartaches uh, about exactly how you handle this Hunter Biden. Yes. And, and again, and whether you do take that step to go question the president. If they do. And it depends on what the evidence is looking like on Hunter. And we don't we don't know what that looks like right now. But I'd want to tie it. If it's the president of the United States, I'd want to have more defensible data than just, hey, ordinarily we talk to the to the target, right? I would want evidence developed that says, uh, eh, Joe had a discussion with Hunter and James, or the Chinese had many discussions with Hunter and James about Joe. That wouldn't, I could hang my hat on something, right? And then the way that would look practically is probably the deputy attorney general would go over and personally sit down with the White House counsel um, and maybe the chief of staff, and then she'd say, you know, here's what we want to do. How do you want this to happen? Where do you want it to happen? Yeah. Can you imagine that happening without it leak without it leaking? Is it possible that uh, a conversation like that happens and and we don't learn about it? One of the things that I've been very impressed with under Garland is the lack of leakage. I mean, look look at how long a, you know a grand jury. We just found out this grand jury is sitting. You know, and they're and they're subpoenaing people, and it was, you know, Ali, uh, what's his name, um, who says he's cooperating. He's been subpoenaed, and he's cooperating. Ali Alexander, thank yeah. you. Or, one of the, the organizer of the January sixth yeah. rally that preceded the riot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know about this in part because he's come out and said, "Yep, yep, I was subpoenaed." So my point is, I think we're going back to some normalcy at DOJ where things aren't leaking. And so yeah. it's possible that it could not it could not leave. Certainly, I don't think anybody at the Biden White House would want that to get out. By the way, my own impression is that's also the case in the bureau these days under Chris Ray, that there's been a lot less stories emerging from inside the FBI uh, ever since uh, Chris. Yeah, I can I can confirm that. I can confirm the fact that people don't want to talk to me as much as they used to. <laughs> yes. 
presumably vis-a-vis whether or not you need to interview President Biden, presumably if this was a case against Hunter Biden, who uh, you wouldn't under normal circumstances interview his father. So I assume that the only reason you would be interviewing President Biden is because there's some additional evidence that indicates that he he knows something about this. That's right. That's why I, I would say I'd be very careful to have something to hang my hat on, because when the, the White House counsel says, exact, tell me again exactly why you have to talk to the president, I would want to lay out, we have indicators that the president either can add value to, to this investigation um, because he either had conversations with one or more of these two subjects of ours, assuming assuming James is a subject, and or again, don't forget there's counterintelligence value as well here. Was anybody, did, you know, did your, this is delicate interview question, but, you know, did your son ever come to you and ask you to, to, to look up something, do something, make a phone call on his behalf? And it's, yeah, you got to do it. You got to do it. And we should point out that on that conversation on the laptop that was tape recorded by the woman he's talking to, Hunter Biden does talk about phone calls he's getting from his father relating to media inquiries that were coming from the New York Times about right. Hunter Biden's activities. So don't forget this uh, this office space that was rented in Washington for this kind of I don't want to call it a shell corporation. But, you know, with regard, you know, didn't he ask, didn't Hunter ask for keys that would have included keys for Joe and Jill? And yeah, there was reporting on that in The Washington Post. Uh, another- I, I do think it was reported that they never use that office or never. Right, right. Yeah. but why? Right. And But then, you know, there's also this kind of murky dual function of this office space, theoretically, which is that it's both this, I'll go ahead and call it a shell company, and then slash, it's also some kind of office space for the campaign or for the transition or something, right? It's got a dual name to it. Well, um, a lot to ponder and think about. This is one of those stories that, you know, uh, obviously people tend to view through a partisan lens, which is not the way you folks at the FBI should be looking at it, nor us uh, in the media. So uh, it's good to remind everybody that um, we do make an effort to view things not through partisan <laughs> lenses. And I'd be, again, real quick, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, get on my soapbox and say, yeah, but some, from a nonpartisan standpoint, whether it's Jared or Hunter or all, all everybody, why aren't we talking about solutions to this? Why aren't we talking about mandatory financial disclosures for candidates Tax tax returns and quote and their family members and why don't we get that in place now so that it applies if we see Donald Trump running again and we have to require his family members to disclose their foreign financial entanglements. You know, I think every future president would benefit from that because <laughs> because it might prevent their children or their brothers or other relatives. Yep. Uh, uh, from yeah. Get, yeah, get, getting, a, right. getting exposed. Taking, like exactly. That. There's a counterintelligence reason to do this. It's really neat, right? You're taking the wind out of the sails of foreign intel services who, who go, ah, they're going to have to disclose anything we do with them. Excellent point. Frank, I want to thank you again uh, for joining us on Skullduggery. It's always great to hear your insights, and we will definitely want to keep in touch. Thanks for having me. Take care. Take care.